Back in the summer of 2008, during the final year of my degree, I did something a little unusual for the time. I took an entirely online subject, and in fact, I took a subject that was earning notoriety at my university. It was the philosophy of time travel. Now, as funny as it may sound to study an online time travel course, I actually do use a lot of what I learned in my working life today. That's enunciating a point, understanding contradictory ideas to come to a conclusion, and particularly right now, communicating with classmates online because we can't meet in person. Well, here we are, over a decade later, and what once led to my parents and friends asking why are you studying online has changed to why aren't you studying online? And as Simon Nelson, founder and CEO of the aptly named FutureLearn observed, it's been a natural progression getting here. So, in the spirit of my first foray into online education, good evening, good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you happen to find yourself in the world at the moment, and welcome to the QS In Conversation pod. I'm Anton John Crace, and I'm the editor and program designer at QS. This week, Simon joins us to discuss how online education has evolved from MOOCs to micro-credentials, and now the heart of the new wave of online education, employability. Thank you very much for joining me, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now, you work with FutureLearn. Can you tell me a little about the history of the organization, the company, the work that you're doing? Sure. FutureLearn is a company I set up nearly eight years ago, at the time wholly owned and funded by the British Open University, uh, which has been long a leader in online and distance learning. Uh, And I'm the CEO of it and founder. And I've grown it over the last uh, eight years to encompass um, partnerships all over the world with leading universities and increasingly industry Uh, providers. We've attracted over 13 million learners to the platform in that time. And we've got a fantastic team of product development, business development, marketing based uh, in London, England. So you have a lot of history when it comes to the online learning space and especially working with open universities in the UK as well. Uh, The the topic of this episode is about micro-credentials, employability, etc. The first question I have for you is, what are the current trends in micro-credentials uh, and how are they uh, being adopted and used by learners at the moment? Micro-credentials have really emerged over the last few years and to some degree powered by what happened with MOOCs in uh, uh, the earlier part of the decade uh, that have now migrated towards professionally relevant short courses and credentials for people who are in work uh, or looking to progress into work. And in some cases, these might be standalone industry credentials, but in other cases, increasingly, universities are starting to also offer micro-credentials that can stack into uh, full degrees or other types of qualifications, but also be valuable for people in work. So you brought up a very interesting point here that a lot of this has stemmed from MOOCs. And I suppose a lot of the listeners will remember the explosion in interest in MOOCs, but there's an argument that perhaps they weren't quite the game changer that they that they were they were meant to be. In that instance, are micro-credentials shaping up as that game changer instead? Well, the first thing I'd say is to challenge those people who say that MOOCs haven't had the impact that they should have done. I think 
in that argument, there is a case unquestionably that MOOCs were overhyped at the beginning. I remember when Futureland launched into this market at the end of 2012. Well, 2012 was being dubbed the year of the MOOC by the New York Times. Mm -hmm. uh, and many people were using the arrival of really quite a, a rapid development of digital uh, technology in higher education to mean that uh, universities would be swept away and that there would be a worldwide democratization of education. Now, not all of that was uh, excessive overhyping. And I've worked in other industries. I'm not from higher education originally. I was in the media before, and I saw the same thing happen in media. People quick to forecast the death of the industry that they're in, or people at the other end of the spectrum dismissing the whole thing as a fad that they don't need to worry about. The answer with MOOCs was firmly in the middle. And actually, if you look back now with the benefit of eight to 10 years of perspective on what they've done, they've driven an enormous amount of digital transformation uh, within the organizations that have delivered them. And I think that when COVID hit earlier this year, I think those organizations, those institutions that have embraced MOOCs, those academics that have delivered them were far better positioned to embrace the challenges and opportunities of moving fully online so quickly. I think if you also look at the uh, platforms that were providing MOOCs over those periods, uh, none of them have stood still. All of them have migrated, including FutureLearn, from that original fairly academically focused MOOC to providing a range of powerful short courses for professional learners to providing full online degrees and using those short courses as pathways into them and now innovating by unbundling those degrees into these new forms of micro-credentials and working directly with industry to provide them. So to take that perspective now into what's happening with micro-credentials, I think the reason it's getting so much attention and energy and discussion is it feels so natural and obvious in this changing world that when there is such a vast demand for high quality education from people who could not otherwise consider taking time out of their lives to attend a physical university or to spend one year, two years, three years, four years studying. That of course, as digital progresses through higher education and education in general, it's gonna find ways of making education more accessible, more flexible, to fit more around people's lives and to bridge the gaps that have historically existed between the physical university and the physical businesses and actually find ways to smooth the passage of people between those two modes of study and training. I want to wheel back to employability, which is what we're talking about. And I also would like to say that I agree with your, your perspective um, in terms of the reasons why this is becoming, microdents becoming more focused. From the perspective of employers, are there any clear expectations they have with micro-credentials? Do they prefer certain services, certain courses, certain learning skill sets? So it's still a fairly nascent uh, sector, uh, what's happening with micro-credentials. And you've got a lot of fragmentation between different uh, platform providers um, and a lot of experimentation going on on the different types of micro-credentials being made available. But one of the things we're trying to ensure is that there's some consistency for the learner and for the employer in what is described as a micro-credential or what is offered. So we have worked with other platforms across Europe 
to create a common micro-credential framework that will adopt the same broad structure in terms of duration, in terms of level, in terms of expectations on the learner between those platforms. And we're trying to encourage a much greater degree, therefore, of consistency and interoperability, not only within the FutureLearn platform. So making sure that if, you know, five different universities are delivering five different micro-credentials, there is a common structure to them that enables them in future potentially even to recognize each other's micro-credentials. And so our, our understanding and our belief is that employers need this consistency so that they can start to really value uh, the micro-credential and then start to put them alongside the traditional qualifications they have been used to valuing and really try and drive innovation in the way they recruit, retain and develop their talent. I do know that FutureLearn has had investment from seek.com, the, the Australian website that I know it's now in the UK as well. With that in mind, is there other employers that are starting to offer their own short courses in lieu of a four-year degree? Is there, are there those sorts of courses going on with employers? Well, firstly, let me talk about Seek. So they joined um, the Open University last year, investing uh, to become 50-50 shareholders alongside the Open University. And it's, of course, no coincidence that a recruitment business, the Asia-Pacific's largest jobs marketplace, comes alongside a world leader in online and distance learning to power the next stage of FutureLearn's growth. Because you know we see the potential of the data and insight that the SEEK group, not only in Australia, but through their investments all across Asia Pacific, Latin America, can provide into what employers are looking for and what skills the prospective employees are lacking when they apply for those jobs. And we already knew that there were a range of skills gaps that were only growing and accelerating traditional skills gaps in healthcare, teaching, for example, being joined by new forms of roles that just didn't exist many years ago, driven by the digitization of industries. Hmm. And what SEEK's data, insight, and reach around the world provides is unparalleled insight and access to those skills gaps. And so that is where we are trying to provide micro-credentials and FutureLearn's platform and ability to deliver micro-credentials stackable into degrees, degrees unbundled into micro-credentials was probably one of the key reasons why Seek chose to invest. So then when you look at other employers, what you're seeing initially is those enterprise, big industry players who have a real interest in developing training for their services and products. So on FutureLearn, for example, we have Amazon Web Services now uh, offering a micro-credential. We have Salesforce. We have Xero. Uh, we have Tableau. We've had uh, Cisco offering micro-credentials as well. And these are among the most powerful and successful that we offer because they provide that direct link to be able to get industry certification or accreditation and a direct pathway into jobs. But the key thing that we're adding to that, that others are not, is we're also enabling those micro-credentials to be recognized for university credit. 
so that not only can you get your industry certification, but that will count towards 10 or 15 credits at a world-leading university. And we think that that bridging of industry-relevant skills and academic credit is a really exciting new way to not only deliver a mark of quality around these micro-credentials, but enable someone to start learning and build towards the full qualifications that otherwise they might feel frozen out from. There's a lot to unpack with your, your response. And I think that it, it hits a lot on what a lot of stuff that I've been reflecting on. At the moment, we're talking about the boom in online education has been created by the COVID-19 pandemic. We can't go into the classroom. I think it's a little bit of an unfair portrayal of the way in which micro-credentials were already being viewed and online education was already being viewed up in the lead up to COVID-19. In particular, I remember that the New Zealand Qualifications Authority formally recognised uh, micro-credentials back in 2018 or started to do so uh, and of course as you mentioned the Amazons uh, and others are, are, are getting to the market because they see the value in it. You mentioned the skills gaps that employers are identifying. What are the sorts of skills gaps that employers are, are finding that, that graduates are coming to their, them missing? Well, as industries go through digital transformation, uh, they uncover a whole load of roles where automation or alternative mechanisms can replace the work of people who formerly were their employees. That has just been exacerbated many, many fold by the impact of COVID-19. And so it becomes not just an employer level problem, it's actually a societal level problem. When you look at uh, the impact on the hospitality industry, for example, of uh, all these people unable to work, or the travel industry of the airline industry, it becomes a national imperative to deliver powerful retraining and upskilling provision. What you see, therefore, is micro-credentials starting to be developed in areas that enable people to move into healthcare, for example or to develop skills in data analysis, or to develop the ubiquitous need for coding skills, or new areas such as cloud computing. And these are areas where the traditional university degree uh, may be too long, not quite up to speed, and as current as is required for people to get the jobs they need immediately. And so that's where micro-credentials come in. They can be developed more rapidly. They can be kept up to date. They're much more flexible for the learner. And I think what we're going to see over the next few years, following the economic impact of COVID-19, is a, a rapid uptake of these by learners, by employees, and indeed by governments. Absolutely. That sort of hits onto one of the other questions I have written down. What are the possibilities of micro-credentials? And equally, what are, the, what are their limitations? What things aren't they capable of doing? Well, clearly there are uh, lab-based or physical activities that are core to many parts of educational training that currently cannot be delivered fully online through a micro-credential. Now, of course, there are virtual or immersive technologies being developed that can supplement uh, some of those requirements. But many of these are still in their infancy. Uh, they're quite hard to scale at the level that you might need for the number of learners on a micro-credential. So clearly, 
there are some aspects of education and training that at the moment can't go fully online. That therefore, however, brings the opportunity of a more blended approach to learning. So using the fully digital, the online, the micro-credential, alongside much more targeted, direct face-to-face -face or physical interventions in education. So again, just forcing everyone to rethink what is the real value of attending a university or a training center or a laboratory? Um, what has to be done in those environments? What can be done separate to that? And then in the middle, how can we innovate with new immersive virtual digital technologies in order to try and bring this to a mass audience, particularly in developing societies who might otherwise have no chance of accessing those physical places. I want to talk about something you just brought up at the very start of that answer because it's piqued my interest quite a bit. Do you think there's too narrow a view of what education is? I suppose when we talk about transport, transport is just traveling from one place to another, but you can do it via a car or a boat or a plane. But when we talk about education, quite often or education and training, it is either sitting in a classroom and being instructed to, or in a vocational sense, being instructed and shown how to do something. Is there a, a lack of understanding of the different ways in which knowledge can be, can be passed through education? I think there, are, there is deep understanding of it, but that deep understanding may not have gone mainstream yet or being applied in national education programs and indeed at an individual university level or school level. So you have phenomenal uh, research and insight into how people learn different modes of learning and everything that one might class as learning that is outside the parameters of how one would traditionally view it. But as I say, that's often locked in uh, research uh, institutes or, or it's within highly innovative, but still quite fragmented educational technology suppliers around the world. But I think what we've just seen in the last four or five months is an acceleration of digital transformation in education by, well, pick your number, but let's say for ease, four or five years. And as a result, I think we're going to see tremendous innovation that's come out of this period. And now it's still going to be required as the turbulence continues through heavily disrupted academic years and a requirement to completely rethink, in many cases, how one delivers a fair, universally accessible education system within a country and between countries. I think I know the answer to this question. But I'll ask it anyway, has the current COVID-19 situation seen an increase in users on FutureLearn? Yeah, you know the answer. Uh, so yes, it's seen uh, probably a five-fold increase in terms of users, uh, enrollments to our courses. That's also um, moved into uh, revenues as well, very significant increases. So through the disruption and the, um, the difficulties of COVID, you know, we are a company that has been able to deliver on some of the promise that we had before. We, we had built a platform to deliver truly massive scale learning. And when the crisis started to uh, become apparent, 
uh, we commissioned and co-produced a range of courses, including a course on COVID-19 itself with the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, which uh, attracted 200,000 people to its first run. And people all over the world, people from just about every country on the planet, and people who were able to uh, share insights, experiences, hopes, fears with each other, not just engage in passive dissemination of information. Uh, we also developed a course on how to teach online, which has been used so far by 75,000 people, teachers around the world, to help them with that rapid transition to online learning, online teaching that they've had to go through. So in some ways, I think for a platform like ours, COVID-19 is a moment, is a pivotal moment when the logical extension of what we've been trying to do for many years has come to fruition. And again, I think uh, whether that's in short courses, micro-credentials or new flexible ways of delivering degrees, I don't think we'll ever go back to where we were before. And th that was going to be my next question as well, which is how do you keep that momentum going? Do you think that there will be a monumental shift in the mindset of learners or, or is there as a online learning platform, do you need to continue pushing that momentum after hypothetically COVID-19 disappears overnight? Well, uh, as you say, that, that's, that's a hypothetical, unlikely scenario for some time. I think if we transfer to a different sector, the fact uh, you and I are doing this interview over Zoom when previously we would probably have met up, I can't see myself or ourselves ever going fully back to the way we were in terms of physical offices, the extent of travel that we did. And nor can I see many people changing their attitude back to where it was on uh, how they would educate or train themselves. I think many people will have had very powerful, positive experiences from online learning during this period. There will, of course, have been many who've had negative experiences. But as a result, uh, I think that the industry has gone through a transition, a transition no one anticipated but a transition from which it will not retreat, I uh, suspect. And uh, as I say, I, I'm actually full of optimism for what that can bring because I do think online learning, not exclusively, not completely replacing face-to-face, -face, but coming alongside it to really open up access and opportunities for people who otherwise could never have dreamt of doing the travel taking the time out of their lives to attend those physical institutions, I think that's uh, an enormously powerful and exciting legacy of COVID-19. I think that's a perfect point to end the conversation on. Thank you very much for your time, Simon. Thank you very much. Hi again, everybody. It's Anton here. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode with Simon Nelson from FutureLearn. We have a lot more content coming up for you for the rest of the year, including another session on employability next week with the QS In Conversation live panel. And of course, we do have our conferences. Our next one is the QS Maple Conference in September on innovative Middle East and Africa, higher education-led economic diversity and globalization. We're really excited to announce that Sophia, the world's first humanoid citizen, will be joining us as one of our speakers. For more information and for tickets, go to qsmaple.org. That's qsmaple.org. And as ever, on behalf of the head of programs, Monica Hurung-Katan, good night.